everyone. Welcome back to Digital Worship. I'm Pastor John Carolis, and it's good to be with you in the studio as we are entering a new season. Uh, on the one hand, we're entering kind of a new season in our studios. We're changing some of the backgrounds and adjusting some of the sets to be a little bit more in line with some of the resources we want to be offering, as well as the season of Advent or the Christmas season. Advent, of course, is marked by the anticipation we have for Jesus' birth, Jesus' arrival, the fulfillment of God's covenant, the answer to his people's prayers, and really the moment where God proved that he was faithful to us again in the biggest way possible. And so as we Christians living in today's day and age, anticipating the return of Jesus in victory, the final day, the victorious arrival of our conquering king here to judge the earth and all people, we remember the anticipation of his people before his birth. And so today, as we engage in a couple of texts today from Isaiah, as well as from 1 Corinthians, we'll be remembering that that is the setting that we find ourselves in in the church here. But also, we are looking at the theme of baptism today. Uh, this Sunday on our Mountain View campus, we're celebrating a baptism Sunday. We have a couple of baptisms happening into the Christian family, people uh, being born into, born again, born into the family of God, being marked by his son, marked with the name of Jesus washed clean of their sin, delivered into their hearts, into their minds, over their bodies, forgiveness, washed clean of their sin and made right with God. Not because of anything they've done or any kind of a characteristic change on their part, but instead only by the grace of God, that is his gifts undeserved by us, poured out upon us through his love by the work that Jesus accomplished in his life on the cross. So it's fitting that we find ourselves celebrating this Baptism Sunday at the same time as we embark on this season of anticipation. Anticipation for remembering Christmas, but looking forward to the time when Christ returns. Our first text today is from Isaiah chapter 64. This is a cry for help, the calling out of God's people as they ask him to intervene, to interrupt their lives, to be a part of what's happening on earth because they're facing great difficulty. See, Isaiah lived at a time where God's people had pretty much rejected him. They were experiencing and about to experience even more suffering for the things that they had done. They were going to be punished and exiled. Uh, all the tribes of Israel, first the Assyrians came and knocked out the northern tribes, and then the Babylonians would come and, and take over the entire land, even taking out of Israel the, the southern tribes. And so the people of God were in a difficult place. But there's a parallel for us to find there, and I know it's kind of a quick jump, but in this digital format, we want to keep things relatively palatable for you, and, and this to be something that you can watch you know, on your way to church, or maybe as a reminder after church, or in your, in your week following, you can remember these great texts that we encounter. But we find ourselves in a similar mindset, I think. Maybe we're not about to be exiled, we're not about to be conquered, we're not being punished for our irreverent ways, but sometimes we have a day where we just feel like we would love it if God would show up. Maybe there's a trial you're facing with family right now, or there's a relationship that needs some realignment. Maybe you've experienced some suffering in your own life due to illness or due to a recovery from a procedure that went wrong. Suffering finds its way into our lives for all kinds of different reasons. It all boils down to one though. It's the fact that we are sinful people. We are broken. We are corrupt. We are separated from God on account of ourselves and the things that we would prefer rather than follow his will or do what he would encourage us and instruct us to do. And so our voices can join with those of the Israelites that we find in Isaiah chapter 64. So if you would, please listen along as we read through these verses together. Oh, that you would burst forth from the heavens and come down. How the mountains would quake in your presence as fire causes wood to burn and water to boil. Your coming would make the nations tremble. 
Then your enemies would learn the reason for your fame. When you came down long ago, you did awesome deeds beyond our highest expectations. And oh, how the mountains quaked. For since the world began, no ear has heard, no eye has seen a God like you, who works for those who wait for him. You welcome those who gladly do good, who follow godly ways. But you have been very angry with us, for we are not godly. We are constant sinners. How can people like us be saved? We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. Yet no one calls on your name or pleads with you for mercy. Therefore, you have turned away from us and turned us over to our sins. And yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We are all formed by your hand. Don't be so angry with us, Lord. Please don't remember our sins forever. Look at us, we pray, and see that we are all your people. I can just hear the power in that prayer, in those words, the fact that these people are laying out before God the reality within them. We're broken. We're corrupt. The world is messed up. Things are going wrong. We're experiencing a great deal of suffering and difficulty. Why won't you come and interrupt our lives? Be a part of what we're doing. And at the same time, a recognition of the fact that they don't deserve God's intervention. They don't deserve his gracious acts toward them. After all, when they look at their lives and they count up the good things they've done and the bad things they've done, they recognize that the bad far outweigh the good. And even if the good had the majority because of the bad things that exist there, there's no way to cover the distance between what we deserve and the God that we strive to have a relationship with. And yet there's this call for mercy. There's this cry in this prayer, this desire that they would be seen as God's children, as God's people, that he would shape them and form them, that he would make them more like the people he has called them to be rather than the broken and corrupt people that they are. You might be thinking, well, John, you said you were going to talk about baptism today. How does this relate? Well, you see, baptism is really the delivery, the means by which God's grace is administered. It's given to us. You see, Christ came down from heaven. Christ interrupted the world. He intervened and led a ministry. For years, he preached and instructed people. He performed miracles. He proved who he was, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Chosen One, the Anointed One who would bring about salvation for his people. His people, of course, rejected him. They didn't listen to his message. They didn't want to be shaped and formed and follow this leader that didn't meet their expectations and wasn't who they wanted him to be. They put him to death. But in his death, this perfect person, this perfect son of God, paid the price for all of our imperfections. And I know this may be a reminder of the simple salvation story, but it's so important for us to keep at the forefront of our minds because each day we face different difficulties, different challenges, different things that weigh us down and cause us to doubt, to stumble, to struggle. But we need always to remember that before God, we are seen as his children. Because no matter how many imperfections or challenges we face, no matter how many mistakes we make or risks that we take that don't work out in our favor, we never have to question whether we are one of God's children because it's not about what we pay, what we contribute, what we do. Instead, it's all about what Jesus has done. In his death, he paid the price. In his resurrection, he was proven to be trustworthy and to have the authority to grant us forgiveness. If death itself could not hold Jesus, then neither can our sins and separation from him. And so when he speaks a word of forgiveness, of new life over you, into your heart, into your life, you are redeemed. You are made new. You are forgiven. How does this count for me? How does this promise get delivered to me? How do I know that I'm one of his children? 
Throughout the New Testament, God admonishes his people, exhorts his people, instructs and encourages his people that baptism is the place of that delivery. That is the place where the gift is opened and applied to us. That's where God's grace, God's riches at Christ's expense are poured out over us. In fact, in Titus chapter 3, it says we are washed by the renewal of rebirth in baptism. 1 Peter chapter 3 compares baptism to the flood. He says Noah's flood that wiped out all evil on earth was a representation, a symbol of the baptism that would be to come, where our own brokenness, our own sin is washed clean off of us. And finally, in Galatians chapter 3, we are reminded that whoever is baptized into Christ has put on Christ. Christ's own perfection is ours. It covers us through the baptism that he gives to us. Baptism is that moment where God calls us as his own. He makes us his children. And so our prayer with the people of Israel in Isaiah chapter 64, God, why won't you come down? Why won't you shape me? Why won't you work on me? Is answered in baptism. Because of Christ's death and resurrection, the baptism that we are given makes us one of God's children. What does it do for us? What does this mean? What does our life look like moving forward? How should I live each day in light of this? Well, we get some of this from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. As Paul is greeting the people of Corinth, the church there, he also gives them this this beautiful little description of who they are. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 9, May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I always thank my God for you and for the gracious gifts he has given you. Now that you belong to Christ Jesus, through him, God has enriched your church in every way with all of your eloquent words and all of your knowledge. This confirms what I told you about Christ is true. Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this for he is faithful to do what he says. And he has invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Okay, well, where does baptism fit into this? You might be wondering. Well, grace is the gift of God that we don't deserve, right? It's God's love. It's his forgiveness. This is calling us his own, his adoption into our lives. That's what grace is. And it's given to you and me through baptism. God delivers that grace to us in baptism because of what Jesus Christ accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection. In fact, in the Greek, the words actually spell this out for us, the grace given you by God, right? In this English translation, we have for the gracious gifts he has given you. But sometimes the original language is a little bit more precise. It says the grace that God, grace of God has been given to you. These aren't just general gifts. These aren't just kind of gifts that represent God's grace or kind of abstract things that make us feel better. No, this is God's actual grace given to us through baptism. And what does this do for us? What does this change about us? Well, it gives us an eagerness as we await for Jesus' return. We are a people characterized by waiting. Just as the people before Christ was born waited and anticipated his birth, so we wait and anticipate his return. We look forward to Judgment Day, not because we're afraid of what will do, how we'll end up, right? On, on, on which side of Jesus as he is judging between the people that uh, will be entering into heaven and those that will go away from him forever, right? We don't have to be worried about that because we have been called his children already. His promise counts for us. And so we eagerly, we anticipate, we look forward to the day when he comes. And all will see who he is. 
And all will know that he is Lord and he is authority and he is the conquering king. He is the righteous and just and good king. And in the meantime, he keeps us strong. He sustains us in our blameless and perfect state before him, not through the perfection that we accomplish, but for the perfection that has been given to us through that gift of baptism. Baptism is what makes us his children. Baptism is what washes us clean of our sin. I hope that you are encouraged in your baptismal identity as one of God's children today and hope that each day you remember that you are baptized so as you face the challenges and trials that lie before you, you know that your salvation does not depend on it. Your state before God does not depend on how well you accomplish the things of your day. In fact, not even your proximity is affected. God is as close to you as ever, giving you his sustained love, his grace, his peace through his son, Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit. I hope you have a great week ahead as we enter into this Christmas season. I look forward to walking toward Christmas with you as we anticipate the arrival of Jesus, remembering his birth and looking forward to his return. Have a great week.